Blog Talk Radio. Because we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Bell Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the biggest, fattest, and drunkest from all, BFD. Hey, man, how's it going? Hey, I'm already drinking, so this should be a really entertaining show after the next hour or so. Uh, we put my old 15-and-a-half-year-old dog down today, and there's much oh. sadness. And, yeah, great life. Great life. I mean, 15-and-a-half-year-old years old, and she was a 60-pound dog. I mean, that just doesn't happen. But still sadness. So. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that gives me hope for myself. Maybe I can live a long life, too, then. <laughs> Sounds great. Do it. <laughs> well, did you know that we don't have to watch another Houston Texans game for another nine months? You know, I, it, it's when, when I saw your opening question tonight, I was just like, there, we've seen some really bad football as Houston Texans fans. I don't know if I've ever gone into a, an off season thinking about a team like this critically that it is just straight trash in so many ways. There's there's a lot of stars. You like to take the top five guys. You take Watt, Clowney, Merciless, um, uh, Deshaun Watson, of course, and DeAndre Hopkins. You take those guys and you look at the rest of the roster, and maybe with the exception of Bernardrick McKinney, it's pretty much straight trash. Uh, DJ Reader is good. Uh, I, I like um, Zach Cunningham's play better than I thought this year, though he was pretty terrible in the second half. But you look at this roster now, and it is just pretty much straight trash. Um, it's it's almost a relief that we don't have to watch this team anymore. And I think that's the first time I've really ever thought that about a football team in, like, my entire life. It's strange, Matt. Yeah, it's so good to not to even watch the condensed version of this team. Uh, and I've escaped them like five of the last nine weeks and I've been able to somehow, you know, I, I leave for you know, the weekend to go on a trip and they play Monday night or I make plans to, you know, go for a walk and then it rains and I'm at home watching them. And it can be so nice to not have to watch them at all. And, and the biggest thing for me is like, it's just so expected. I know we talked about it. I wrote about it. As soon as Watson went down, like, this roster wasn't constructed to win games with you know, Watt, Merciless, and you know, being out of the picture on defense. And then with Watson out, there was no offensive line for Savage to be even you know, below average. And it was just kind of like we knew they were going to be bad, and they were really bad. And then they just go back and watch them every single week and know it was going to be bad and sit there, and they would be bad over and over again. And it's just so good to not have to do it all anymore. And – I uh, and also I just love this time of year too. Like I love the first two weeks of NFL postseason. This week's great, but next week's even better. And I'm just so glad I don't have to think about this football team for you know until after the playoffs are over. And then I'll do the season review and we'll do a wrap up and award show. And I'll watch like eight eight games of game films so I can walk, write like seven film articles out of it. But I mean other than that, like I, it feels very good to not have to deal with them at all anymore. 
It's so crazy. I, I just never, you know, I love watching football so much. I watched nothing but football last couple of days, watching a lot of bowl games. And I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it terribly. But watching the Texans team, this Texans team week in, week out was a nightmare. After Deshaun Watson went down especially, you see a lot of high draft picks that, that guys like Will Fuller and, and Braxton Miller, who just really aren't very good. Um, you look at, you know, Lamar Miller being used completely wrong. You have the announcers are all over Alfred Blue's jock for the first half of the game and putting up <laughs> 2.1 yards per carry because that's what we're re- we are reduced to as a team. And you can't really say, oh, but injuries. Okay, well, look at the offensive line. Yes, Zach Martin went down, but Greg Manx is a, is a very solid replacement for him. Jeff Allen went down, and that's, you know, that's addition by subtraction. So – it, it's just such a bad team, and it's just so you can if you can only really say, okay, there's five or six guys that I really want to keep on my team, that is not a good thing when you have a minimum of you know depending on how you're looking at twenty four starters at c b three and a w r three and you just can't look at your team like that, and it's that's how ugh, it's just so bad anyway it's it's weird, yeah. Matt. Yeah, and I mean, like, also, there's still really fun players to watch on this team, but just, like, the way it all is kind of constructed, like, it just couldn't it just couldn't work without those players that were there. Um, and I know, like, a lot of you – know, this conversation is a lot of chasing the same tail that we've been chasing for, you know, a while this year. And uh, – but, you know, it feels good to talk about other things. And, you know, and it's weird, too, because, like, I say that, and we're so excited to, to be done with Texans football in a way. And then there's a lot of very big news that happened this weekend and today. And I still – I really don't understand it. I'm going to need some help from you. And the big thing that happened is that Rick Smith has stepped down as the general manager in the Houston Texans. But he's going to retain his role as your know, vice president of you know, something or the other. Uh, his main reasoning for you know, stepping down is the fact that his wife has breast cancer and spent time with his family. And the things that really matter, which is you know, 100% true. Then – on top of that, the Texans didn't know if they were going to hire a general manager or not. Rick Smith said that it's up to Bob McNair, but if he kept the position open, he would you know, like to come back to it, I guess. And then Bill O'Brien's going to stay on as the head coach next year. They fired uh, Tom Larry Izzo, assistant coach. Defensive backs coach John Butler, running back coach Charles London have parted ways with as well. Their head of football research has retired. And so like, the entire, like, the way this team, I guess, is going to be run has completely changed. So the players are going to be the same next year. The way the team's going to be run is going to be completely different next year, too. And I just don't really, I guess, like, understand it very much. So uh, was Rick Smith fired? Is there going to be another general manager in the future? Do him and O'Brien actually hate each other? So please, BFD, with your very smart, uh, wrinkled brain, help me out because mine's very small and, and smooth. I really don't know what the heck is going on. I don't know if anybody does. I mean, reading between the lines, what each one is saying. So there, there are kind of some things that are becoming known knowns at this point. One known known is that Bill O'Brien had relatively no input on roster construction. So again, we, we, we don't know if this is hundred percent true, but if true, then that puts guys like Brock Osweiler on Rick Smith. That was a big one. And, but the problem with this assumption is, is let's look at the quarterbacks that have been brought in. Ryan Mallett, big, strong arm, tall. Brock Eisweiler, tall, 
allegedly a strong arm, but we saw otherwise. These all fit Bill O'Brien's profile. So I'm still a little bit confused, but from what's coming out, Bill O'Brien had relatively no say on the roster construction. So the the other big thing is here and is it was time for Rick Smith to go. It, it really was. Uh, three playoff wins in ten years is does not a good GM make. Okay, that's that's what I've been saying for for probably four to five years now. Is Rick Smith strives for mediocrity. He hits the home run in the first round and he bunts you know the third strike you know the rest the other six rounds right. So it's it, he's just not good at his job. And you can't have all home runs. You have to have some doubles and triples. You have to have other successes, and Rick Smith cannot do that. So it was time for him to go. I hate the way he's going. I, I just, I mean, I, you know, my mother passed of breast cancer, I think, was actually on her death certificate. I think that was the cause of death, though it was really everything cancer. But, you know, cancers affect, breast cancer has affected me in my life very personally, and so I hate the fact that he's going out like this, and I, all my love to Tiffany and the Smith family and all that sort of thing. It's, it's leaving, the way he's leaving is also making it all murky. So instead of having, like, a fresh cut and a fresh start, you still have the ghost of Rick Smith behind whatever happens in the 2018 season. So do we hire a new GM? I think the answer is yes. I think it has to be because somebody has to run the dadgum team. Somebody has to organize the draft. So I think that is a yes. We will have a new GM. The next question is, is it going to be a Rick Smith flunky like Brian Gaines? So there's actually there's going to be a certain level of continuity and thinking that goes behind it. Well, Brian Gaines is probably Rick Smith part duh. So I don't know what we're gaining there. Um, so there's, it just, the whole thing makes it murky. You know, we've talked about, he's probably going to be promoted. He's probably going to fail up and be promoted to a different position, but it, not even that, I'm not even sure how that comes into play at this point. So Matt, I'd love to have some sort of answer for you, but I have no idea what's going to happen. Damn it. Is that, I mean, I, right? I, still don't, <laughs> I don't really understand it at all. And, I mean, I guess what I think is going to happen is that the Texans are going to hire a GM. Bill O'Brien's going to have more input on personnel decisions. And, like, I understand, like, why Rick Smith is stepping down, but I kind of wonder how much of it's, like, he kind of realized that this was going to be the best time for him to leave, too, as well. Like, he knew O'Brien was going to fly for more power, perhaps. And he knew that maybe his position was murky as well. So he thought, you know, why, why work and try to deal with this as, at the same time when I have more than enough money when – you know, McNair, uh, we still we still spend time with each other, we're still best friends. I still have a job here. I deal with all that when there's really no reason to. And, hey, and let's say this Bill O'Brien thing doesn't work out this year, then he can always come back and be the GM maybe in 2019 after O'Brien has had, has had his say and the ability to construct this roster. So, I don't know, it's weird. It's like he's going to be there the entire time, but he's not. And, uh, and it's just – I've never seen this at all in professional football or any sports for that matter, where a guy, it's, I guess the Packers are kind of the same thing with Ted Thompson, where he's going up to a different role and they would general, they're going to hire a new general manager. But this whole thing's just kind of strange. It's usually guys just get fired or you know, they part ways or whatever, and that's it. But for him to be like one leg in the water, one leg out, like I really don't necessarily understand the dynamics or, of that are going to work from the you know, front office, you know? Yeah. What happens when, when Rick Smith comes back? Is he going to just 
go like steal the you know general manager desktop plate off the current guy's you know desk and put it on his and say hey I'm back I'm here. You know, Rick, Rick Smith is saying you know a lot of the right things. They're like no that's not really going to happen. But I'm not leaving my position either. Well, then what the hell are you going to be doing? Yeah. So yeah, it's not you know there's a certain le- at a certain point in time you can only fail up and be part of daily operations. And so it, he, if he's failed up enough. Then it's time just to cut. It, it, it's time to cut them out of the daily operations. Get them out of the personnel development. Let them like figure out. Okay, we need to improve our beer sales in this section of the stadium. What can we do? That's what he needs to be doing at this point. And you know what the answer to that question is? Uh, make it cheaper. That's always the answer. <laughs> hey, give me that Blind job. Want, for the win. <laughs> yeah, I want that job. Uh, the other thing about this, too, so we talked about Brian Gain as a possible general manager hire. So I know he w- he went to Buffalo last year, but no, I kind of seemed like nobody cared that he left, and it was a good thing that he left. And he was also the director of pro player personnel, too. And, the, I mean, I really hate, like, this week for just, like, internet football, you know, talk, because it all becomes, hey, this general manager at Green Bay is a good hire, maybe. This guy is a good hire. Oh, I like this uh, – coach over here but not this coach over here nobody knows these people unless you're working with them or you've had any personal experience with them really at all it's all like guessing you know you don't necessarily know the role and what they do or you know this and that that sort of thing and so it's all just a bunch of just fraudulent analysis it doesn't matter you know really whatsoever uh and so me saying that you know i don't necessarily understand brian you know gains full role it makes him a confident gm at all whatsoever but i know his last position well, he was the assistant general manager of the Dolphins and got fired. And then his last position in Houston was director of pro player personnel. So that means he had a direct, you know, I guess he should have had, I can't really say for sure, but it means that he probably had some sort of influence on, you know, the Brock Osweiler signing, the Lamar Miller signing, the Jeff Allen signings. And, uh, and that's bad, you know, and he was, he went to Buffalo and the West what they really missed him at all. And so I don't necessarily understand like why bring him back would be a good idea. And I don't know another GM that would be good at all in this situation. There's nobody out there I really like. But I don't understand the Brian Game thing really at all. Most him and Bill O'Brien are best friends or something. But I remember last year, like I said, whenever he left last year, nobody seemed to miss him. Everybody thought it was good. Uh, nobody really cared all that he was gone. And now all of a sudden he becomes a potential GM hire, which just – the whole thing just seems very stupid to me. I, I think that's well said because it really is. I mean, a, a lot of people <clears> – <throat> somebody texted me earlier today and said, who is your – if you could pick a guy to be your GM, who would it be? And, of course, my first thought was Ozzie Newsom, <laughs> right? Why, why not just sit for the, you know, yeah. go all the way with this scenario? Let's do somebody who's got a strong track record of success, of free agent signings, drafting. I want Ozzie Newsom. Otherwise, I mean, you start to look at some of these guys, Nick Casario, Eric DaCosta, you know, being guys who probably aren't going to go anywhere. Then there are guys who are probably going to go somewhere, like Trent Kirchner, Brian Gain, Elliot Wolf, the guy who I was actually most interested in, and I was so pissed because it was my response to the text I got, was Alonzo Highsmith. He was a number one draft pick, I think number six overall in the 1987 draft for your Houston Oilers. And so here's somebody, here's a player kind of in the mold of Ted Thompson. Here's a player who has a lot of experience and has many years in the game, a lot of years in the player personnel development type area who knows the game, he was a really intriguing pick, intriguing pick for me, Brown signed him today. 
because of course they did. So, you know, even the guy who was the one guy who was kind of looking to go, this is kind of an outsider, insider kind of thing. He's gone. So if if you think if you're gonna say, oh, I want Lewis Riddick, right, to be Ugh. my GM, then then you know, great. Why? I mean, what do we know about the guy? So well, he's a guy. He's on ESPN and is just dumb all the time. All the time, right. So why yeah. would he ever be – I mean, well, why would he be your guy? But he's a guy who might get a GM job this offseason. There's so many vacancies. So I don't know. I, I'm just as confused about this whole freaking thing as you are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, like, there's – and it's a great job, too, like, if you're a general manager, especially if you're good at, like, free agency. Like, this would be the perfect position for Chris Ballard and, like, what he did in Indianapolis, you know, where he's getting all these defensive players on short-term contracts who, you know, fill up the rest of the roster. And, and if they work, they work. If they don't, they don't, whatever. Like, a guy who can really understand free agency is the most important thing for this roster because they don't have any, you know, draft picks at all this year. And so for this year, like, if you're thinking that Houston with better injury luck, uh, with guys healthy, with Watson back, how can they, can, you know, compete right away? Well, you need a guy who's going to be really, you know, crafty for agency. And based off, you know, Brian Gaines' past experiences, he seems like the last guy you would want there. But, you know, the, it's, a, it's a great job in a lot of ways. I mean, you have a lot of free agent cap space. I mean, the two things you have to do is rebuild a secondary, rebuild an offensive line in the offseason, which is really hard to do one, uh, nearly impossible to do both. But luckily, you have a front seven that makes the secondary not as important. You have a quarterback and watch that makes the offensive line not as important. And so there's, you know, you, you know there's give and take there. You have, like, they're going to have, like, 70-something million dollars in cap space, too, once they cut everybody as well. And, and also maybe some guys are still on the roster, like Gary Newton playing right guard, or, or some things that possibly happen as well too. So I mean, there's ideas, and you know, if you if you take those as kind of like a, a basic, you know, foundation, and then you extrapolate to the summer where you have to wait for other guys to get cut. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice job to have, and so I'm interested to see what they do too with it. And I think immediately where this new GM can, you know, improve this roster is one special teams, of course. I think Seth Payne had a great stat where he said. Joe Marciano has led the Lions and uh, special team DVO in the top 10 in the last two years, which I didn't know, which is unbelievable. And it seems like that's you know, pretty much on Rick Smith himself. You know, depth guys, UDFAs, he's all for getting UDFAs. Uh, and so, like, you can, if you can get a guy and build the back in the roster, is good for agency, getting the offensive line, the secondary, good enough. You know, they can't be – their Magna will be great in the summer, but just good enough for the other spots of the – a team can flourish. You know, it's a it's a really good spot for a general manager to be in, in a lot of ways. And I'm interested to see if they if they sign. Hopefully, they sign some of the kind of crafts with what the needs are for this roster currently. Yeah, what I would like to see is I'd like to see somebody that's going to lean heavily. And you know, we we saw that Sashi Brown kind of flamed out in Cleveland, but I would love to see somebody who has that statistical background as well, because there's a lot of advantages that are not yet I think being exploited in the NFL. You know, it's been well advertised, of course, the money ball with Billy Bean and baseball, but football has the opportunity to have that kind of exploit. And again, it's not about guys taking walks in baseball. It's about exploiting market inefficiencies. And so I, w I would like to understand, and I think there are some market inefficiencies in the NFL today. Like there are some guys who are just ballers. Vontae is perfect is just a baller. So there, he has, I mean, his, he would be like last in the combine if he were to, you know, we were to do the combine today. He'd be like the worst linebacker there, but the guy plays hard. 
and he's a very good player. So th- to me, there's, there seems to be an opportunity in that area. So I'd like to see somebody who's going to at least embrace that. It doesn't have to be somebody who drinks the Kool-Aid for that, but somebody who's willing to listen to every side of that argument. Well, like we always say, you know, that it's not film or a video or, you know, blank tapes with a, with a tile rubbed off or numbers, you know, it's combining both to make the best decisions that you can. And I know Bill O'Brien's not a big numbers guy. He said that in interviews before. Uh, Rich Smith doesn't really seem like a numbers guy as well, too. And the Texans aren't really a numbers team. Like, you just kind of see, like, how they constructed their roster in 14 after being talented. I, they, I really don't think they had any idea how talented their roster was in, after that 2013 season with just how they you know, used Ryan Fitzpatrick in the quarterback position. And you just kind of look at the peripheral stats and say, hey, you know, we aren't as bad as we should be. Let's get a quarterback, and we're going to be good again this year immediately. And we just kind of have to plug in a few other holes. And so I think also like a lot of number stuff too is just being able to understand your own roster and your own team a lot better. I think a lot of you know, general managers miss that. Um, and then the biggest market inefficiency is, you know, late-round guys and UDFAs and just building a model. Uh, I think I talked about this two weeks ago where you're able to find guys who have that athleticism necessary to play or even be better than that from smaller schools and, uh, and just being able to, like, pick those guys out and know who to target and who to actually, like, study and watch and go visit and those sorts of things too. But I think late around the draft, understand, you know, the better part of your roster uh, or the two, like, you know, inefficient things that I think you can kind of grasp for your general managers coming out now. But it is going to be interesting to see if the Texans are in gate kind of a numbers guy, which I don't see them doing, but it'd be cool. And that Saucy Brown thing was just so kind of devastating because it wasn't his fault the Browns are bad. It's Hugh Jackson. He's a terrible uh, head football coach. He's awful. The way he, he constructed that offense to start the year and put Kai's in the situation was terrible and stupid. Uh, if you if you or I coached the Browns, I think we could have won at least two games with them. Like, we called the plays the Browns, we could have won two games. And it's unbelievable just how bad they were this year and have been for the past two seasons. So, I don't know. I think I don't think anything's really going to change with football until a number savvy GM wins and the fans say, hey, you know, this stuff works. The owner says, hey, this stuff works. And then they can kind of, you know, ripple from there because that's what happened in baseball. Uh, but – yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. I think NFL is just so far behind in you know, analytics and you know, quantitative analysis compared to other sports for sure. Yeah, agreed. And, and you're right. It took the A's being successful, you know. And I, I still think it's funny, you know, everybody, you, even today when you talk about Moneyball with somebody, because I did it this weekend, they're like, yeah, wasn't that about walks and about guys taking walks? And I don't know. Is that it? And it's like, no, no, market inefficiencies. <laughs> yeah, and it's not about getting walks. It's, it's about getting on base <laughs> and how a single is worth a walk. You know, if you're on base, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, and the other, and the other nice thing about the about the walk too <laughs> is that the defense doesn't have an impact on the play either, unlike a single. Uh, so that's your that's all the baseball talk in the world that you need. Hey, the Rangers are going to report in two months. Great. So the other thing that happened, too, is that I mentioned Larry Izzo and all these guys are fired. Uh, good, bad, what are your thoughts? Let's just go back to your Joe Marciano comment, right? All of a sudden, he's a good special teams coach. What, what, what changed? Oh, the personnel he's working with. So I, I see the Izzo firing has basically – our special teams are, are bad. I mean, they're just really spectacularly bad. They especially were in 2015 – or 2016, I'm sorry. So, look. Izzo gone, great. He's really just terrible. 
the DB coach, you're going to blame the DB coach for Jonathan Joseph? You're going to blame, you're going to blame him for Kevin Johnson can't stay healthy or Kareem Jackson getting slow? These are personnel issues, once again. Uh, running back coach Charles London. You're going to blame Charles London on using Lamar Miller in a power scheme when that's not his forte? So, you know, each of these cuts is are interesting and kind of in a vacuum. You're like, oh, yeah, our running backs are terrible. But wait a minute. We, we don't know how to use Lamar Miller, you know? So, great. You're shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. The big problem is still the offensive coordinator. It's still the guy who's drafting the talent. Matt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that guy's gonna be you know gone now as well too. Um, I do think it, I do think it's interesting, and I think like you know defensive back coach, you can say well Kevin Johnson regressed, but you know he was bad when the year started before his injuries, and he was injured, and you know, got even worse. But I think it's the same guy who coached up AJ Boye, you know. So there's two sides to that situation too. The running backs coach, uh, I mean that's not the running backs been bad because of you know Lamar Miller. It's been bad because of the offensive scheme. Izzo, I just don't like it all. I mean, he's just done so many stupid things directly that you can point to that uh, it makes sense for you know, him being out of there. And, you know, the, and the football research guy, you know, who knows what he does. But it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier where we all have these ideas and, you know, we're like, good, I'm glad those guys are out there. But you don't know anything about them. You don't know their role in the team. You don't know how they've affected players directly or indirectly. You don't know how the players feel about them. So all that sort of stuff is just, you know, silly and I don't want to – talk a lot about it because those are my personal feelings and it seems like you're kind of the same page. So let's talk about something else that I don't want to talk about. I'm sure you don't want want to talk about either. (laughs) This stupid, awful, uh, terrible football game. The Texans finished last place in the AFC South. Woo! And so they get to play the the Browns and Jets next season. So BFD, are you proud of your boys for finishing on this disastrous season going 4-12 and ending up last place in the division? I liked what Tim was saying throughout the game, the Colts game. It's like he felt like Nero, and he was just watching the city burn while he played the violin. I thought that was just so apropos. Um, it's it's because it's it's funny because it's true. It's it. I don't know what to say about the game. The, this game was like watching. Here here's the game in a okay. Sorry, I'm, a couple false starts. Just call me the next Jeff Allen couple false starts. I think the, the thing that really told me everything I needed to know about this game was when Kareem Jackson made a stop on a third down with like five minutes left in the fourth quarter and he celebrated like he just won the Super Bowl. And I was looking at the TV going, oh my God, that is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. <laughs> so that was, that was the game for me. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of reminds me of Kevin Johnson. You're getting burned three times in a game and breaking up one pass and, you know, losing his mind and, and all that. It's like, you don't get to do that yet. You know, if you're going to be celebrating yet, you have to do what Boye did in, uh, you know, 2016 where, like, he just put his finger to his lips, you know, kind of wagged his finger. And after, like, 12 games, he's, you know, waving his arms around and, you know, talking trash to receivers and that sort of thing. You can't automatically do that. And so, you know, it kind of reminds me of that, too. Uh, I didn't, I watched the condensed version of this game. I was driving back from West Texas, and of course the game was AM, AM was on AM 550. So I was able to listen to, uh, you know, Kevin Ware and you know good old Mark uh, call the game, and it was a lot of fun. You know, I got to hear Kevin Ware say, "Alfred Blue's out here having a job interview for the Houston Texans next season, and 31 other teams." And he said that at least 15 times, which is a lot of fun. 
And uh, and I watched it, and it was even worse than I imagined in my mind as you know we drove through that that crazy frost storm there. So uh, so what did you like about this game? We've been mean enough, we've been negative enough. What did you like about it? I thought it was the last game of the season. <laughs> no, let's talk about let's talk about something that was actually to like about this game. How about Julian Davenport? Yeah, he's pretty good. That yeah, yeah talk, talk to us about the. Uh, it's Davenport. Well, yeah, I I wrote about it in the summer whenever you know the Houston whenever the Houston's drafted him. I said you know the guy's a natural kick slider. He has really long arms. He definitely has the feet to play in the NFL. Uh, the big question is like he's going against you know players like Nell. So there's going to be a big learning curve you know adjusting to the speed of the pro game. But you know nobody even got close to you know beating him outside at all. You know, in college, like, he won the spot every single play, and there was really, like, no competition at all. And the and then also, like, you know, he needed to get stronger. He needed to learn how to play lower in the run game, those sorts of things. And so when he came – when he first started this year, he wasn't ready at all. Like, you can just see him, you know, having trouble catching up to the speed of the game. He was playing high. And also, he just wasn't doing a lot with his punches. And then, I don't know, where, like, these last two weeks, like, he's been, you know, really phenomenal. I wonder how much of the – I guess phenomenal is probably like a way too big of a word to say, but he's been really good. And that's the biggest thing probably for him is just, you know, playing in actual live football games and understanding the speed of it and getting off the snap quicker and all that. And I'm going to write an article on him probably in, you know, a month and a half or so once the season's over. And uh, that he's good and he's pl- he's having a much better year right now than I thought he was going to do, you know, based off what he did in college. But he seems like a, a NFL caliber left tackle, which is thought after the Texans drafted him. Yeah, I don't know if he's quite left tackle. I, I still have doubts about that. I think he's clearly has the skill set to be an above average right tackle. Uh, but I am starting to be more and more convinced that was a fine performance. I mean, it's not like he was going up against, you know, you know, Clowney or really anybody. But it was really just an impressive performance all around. He kept uh, Yates backside clean. That was it was a you know great game, and there's a there's clearly a lot of talent there. Hey, you know maybe Rick Smith got one right. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll, we'll disagree on that. I do think he's 100% a left tackle, and uh, but the Colts have a pretty good front four. You know, when it comes to rushing the pass, so they don't have the sacks, but they get pressures. You know, I think Shear was third in the NFL. I think Barcavius Mingo had like 20. Marcus Hunt had like 20. Simon had 15 before he was injured. So they're able to you know, rush the passer a little bit in Indy. And you also, like, you just saw the difference too between him and Brandon Giacomini. And Giacomini gave up two sacks. Shear destroyed him the entire game. And, uh, you know, according for football focus, Davenport didn't give up one pressure at all. And, you know, you have Jack there, so I gave up like seven and two sacks. And they're just an entirely different, you know, skill set between the two guys. So, you know, it's it's good, and and uh, you know, it's one of the few bright spots of this season is that you know him and Cunningham and Martin all had you know really good years this year, and you know moving forward like you know you including Watson too. So it seems like the Texans maybe finally have like a good draft class all the way through. Um. Yeah. Hopefully, I'm. You know, Cunningham was just so bad the last couple of weeks. It was just kind of weird. Um. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully, you know, Rick Smith did a good job in this on this last draft. We have a little bit of depth because, you know, we've talked about special teams. We've talked about the offensive line. This is what needs to be done is we need a lot more depth. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so what what else do I like about this game? I like the fact that Texans lost and finished fourth place, and that's perfect and beautiful. I like watching McKinney and Cunningham chase make chase down tackles to the sideline you know, against like Frank Gore and Marlon Mack. I really enjoyed Brown Giacomini getting beat by Jabal Sheard on an outside rush. That was really pretty. I also love that safety that TJ Yates took where they had seven offensive linemen in, and then Chad Slate blocked the wrong guy, and Yates was sacked immediately. And that was hilarious. Uh, did that give you a good laugh at all? Oh, yeah. The, the, the <laughs> yeah. The, the, a, a safety in the Texans' last game in 2017 was perfect. The only thing that was missing is it wasn't Tom Savage and it wasn't a strip sack. Yeah, so that, that made like me a game-winning little... touchdown, too. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you you like the Colts. You know, rush, pass rush more than I do. I think they're straight trash, too. But aside from Sheard, I like Sheard. But, yeah, it's just, you know, golly. What a, what a terrible team to lose to. The Colts are terrible, people. The, the Colts are, are talentless. Ryan Grigerson. Grigson? Grigson. He's not there you anymore. Know, basically, he's not there anymore. But look what he did to that poor <laughs> roster. Yeah, I know. They are terrible. So it's and it, to be beaten by the Colts, I don't care about the injuries. We should still have more talent. They are missing Andrew Luck. They're missing Vontae Davis. They're missing some some decent football players, and and they just they they beat us. Yeah, I I for, I for sure agree with that too. The Texans should have beat you know the Colts and and that roster regardless of the injuries that the Houston had this season. Uh, but it is still fun, too. My favorite thing that happened in the game, though, was Jadavion Clowney and Marlon Mack had that weird battle where Clowney breaks the line of scrimmage, and then Marlon Mack breaks his tackle you know, two yards behind there and then breaks it outside and picks up 12 yards for the first down. And you never see that really at all. And then later on in the game, you have Clowney dropping back, of course, in, in pass coverage, which is always hilarious. So he's dropping back in, in pass coverage, and then they dump the ball to Mack in the flat. And Clowney chases him down and shows that kind of motor and athleticism that he has and just absolutely murdered Mac and forced the fumble out of bounds. And Mac gets up, hits him on the helmet, says, hey, thank you. That felt very good. And went back to the high hole. I thought that was really cool. That was my favorite thing watching this game, though, as far as, like, you know, on-field action goes. I, I think I don't think I've ever seen Clowney get uh, straight-armed like that, like, ever. I mean, yeah. Mac just gave him the hand and knocked him down. And that's a big dude. I mean, that's a like, – what is he, like, 6'7", 270 or whatever he is? That's a big dude. Mac just told him to eat hand. That was amazing. Yeah. But that's – to me, that's, the, you know, the good of football. That, that's, the, that's perfect football. It's give and take. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Better team wins more. But that's, like – for, for my money, that's what I love about football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also, it was cool, too. And also, we're going to see this you know, probably you know, next year and the year after as well. Because it seems like Frank Gore is maybe retiring, may go somewhere else. And then Marlon Max would then went back in Indianapolis. And I liked him, too. You know, he, he actually has some speed. And he has a lot of size. And, I mean, anybody doing that to Clowney, like, you just go, hey, we need to get this guy a lot more carries than he's currently getting. It was just a great play. And again, like you're saying, it's what you like about football, just kind of like little plays like that. Yep. Oh, uh, and, and the last thing I liked was Kevin Johnson being bad. That's been one of my uh, favorite things to watch throughout this year. Yeah. So if let's we'll speak to the secondary a little bit. Kevin Johnson, I don't think it's fair to call him a bust yet, but he clearly does not have the skill of being healthy. And that is a skill. 
And it's, I don't know, we can see what he comes back as next year, but for my money, he has lost a step, a couple steps. He no longer has a short area burst. He's not being, he's just, I don't even know who to compare him to at this point in time. He's just lost his burst completely. It's like when uh, uh, Namdi Asimov, Namdi, God, I haven't said that name in a long time. When he, all of a sudden, he was just gone, right? He went from being an elite quarter to being just done. And that's what I kind of see with Kevin Johnson right now. So, but Johnson's young enough to come back from that, but he's terrible. Jonathan Joseph, Father Time caught up with him. Kareem Jackson's going to be another year older next year. We have three cornerback positions I think we need to address in the offseason. We can throw, we can back up a dump truck to Tremaine Johnson's front door and, and say, hey, come play here, but so can about 15 other teams. So yeah. this is going to be a big deal heading into 2018. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even like the injury thing with Kevin Johnson, he was he had all offseason recover, and he was bad in the first two weeks of this year too. Uh, he was constantly chasing out of that Jacksonville game. Same thing with Cincinnati. And he got hurt in that Cincinnati game and came back and hasn't been really bad since then. But I still don't even know if he's going to be good next year, you know, after another year off and all that, because he was bad from the very beginning this season. And, you know, people forget that. I like that time when I, when I pee my pants in the seventh grade. <laughs> no, we haven't forgotten that anymore, Matt. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, hell yeah! I'm, let's that's it. We're done talking about the Texans. It's playoffs, man. I can't wait for this weekend. I can't wait for next weekend. Uh, it's gonna be great. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about each playoff game. And uh, we've been doing this for about 35 minutes, so we'll do you know six minutes a game, and we're gonna make our pick, and we're make our picks with the spread. And the other thing here is this is all gonna be uh, you know facts only. We're not gonna look anything up. This is straight from the hip. Uh, you know, no nerds allowed for this one. So the first game is Saturday at 3.30 p.m. It's Tennessee versus Kansas City. Uh, tying up, baby. Uh, the Chiefs are seven-and-a-half-point favorites. And so to get the starting, the conversation starting, I do think that the Tennessee Titans do have a shot in this game, mainly because they can run the football, and the Chiefs' front seven has been able to stop the run at all. You know, Chris Jones is great. Houston's great. But their entire linebacking core, is, all three of those other positions are really bad. They're slow. And if you block the first level, you can run for forever. I know that the Chiefs' run defense has been a little bit better the past few weeks, but Melvin Gordon still had a great game against them. Austin Eckler had a great game against them. Last week's game didn't matter. And I think it's a big area for concern. So I think could see the Titans deal running for 175 yards this game and, uh, and making it like an actual competitive affair. I don't think you're wrong. I, I think that's where this game is going to wind up because we know, you know, if it was the opposite, if Kansas City could stop the run and but couldn't stop the pass at all, we know that Mike Malarkey would still try to run the ball 84 it's times fair. in the game. Yeah. So this is where, you know, Malarkey's hard-headedness is going to come in handy for him is because he's just going to run the ball. And I, Kansas City had the worst run defense in the NFL by DVOA. I know we're not just a nerd. I'm doing it anyway. Well, you can't look at the top of your head. You just can't look at that. Well, I've already, I already did research. What can I say? Good, good, good. If you already did the yeah. research, it's fine. You just can't look anything up as we talk. Okay. Okay. So, um, so I, I think Tennessee has a chance. I don't think they're going to win because I think their defense is that bad. And I think that their team speed, aside from Adoree Jackson, is going to really hurt though. 
I can see Tyree Kill just wreaking havoc on the Tennessee Titans defense. I just I, I don't know how they stop all that speed, especially wide receiver. So uh, you're not wrong, but um, the Titans are really bad defensively. Yeah, and they just have. I'm so upset the Titans are in the playoffs right now. They don't deserve to be. They just look listless. They don't care. They don't make decisions based off their opponent at all. Uh, Mike Malarkey should have been fired Monday anyways and had Dick LeBeau coach this game because <laughs> who cares? You know, he, he needs to be out of there. And I'm, I'm upset. Like, they shouldn't be in the playoffs right now. I would much rather have the you know, Chargers here or even the Ravens for that matter. Um, but, I, yeah, I do think it's going to be a closer game, though. You mentioned Tyree Kill. I'm kind of interested if the Titans are just going to have a Dory Jackson follow Hill the entire game which would be really cool because it's just like two guys who run like a 4-4 chasing each other around the entire time. Could you see LeBeau actually doing something smart defensively in this game like that? I'm sorry, say that again? You bugged out for just a moment, sorry. I said, could you see LeBeau actually doing something smart and having Dory Jackson just kind of cover Tyreek Hill the entire game like that? I don't think Dory Jackson's that good just yet. I think – the, ultimately, the thing that would help him is he's got the speed, but Tyreek Hill is – he needs to be bracketed. I don't even see how you can do otherwise. You need to have a safety that's playing 10 yards deep and and staying 10 yards deeper than Hill. And you can't allow passes underneath to him one-on-one. You, ha- you have to bracket Hill. He's just that fast. He's that dangerous. I think um, I saw – I'm not sure if this was correct, but I, I think I saw that Four of the top five NFL speeds this year all belong to Tyreek Hill. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And, and you know, Kevin Byer led the league in, in, in interceptions this year. Uh, you can see him playing kind of farther back. And, you know, he, he's good. He's not incredible, though. Like, he just kind of saw the interception he had last weekend that Bortles just overthrows him and lands right in his arms. And that's how a lot of his have been where he's, you know, playing the center of the field, uh, passes kind of fly over him. And, you know, he's able to go from the center to the sideline. But I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to play the deep middle and hope he hope he's able to come over and, you know, that way passes from Hill. I think it's going to be a really big game for Albert Wilson, too, from Kansas City's perspective. And yeah. I also think Kelsey. Yeah. I don't know who on Tennessee is going to be able to guard Kelsey at all in this game. Uh, the Titans have fine inside linebackers for stopping the run, but they can't cover it all. Like Wesley Woodyard, he can't cover Kelsey. And so I, I already see Kelsey just running up the seam, you know, for forever. Yeah, and it's not like you know you can ask Bayard to do that too. If you're gonna, if you really need him to help with the Hill, and the other yeah. Thornton, the other safety, he is not good. Yeah, so, Thornton. Um, oh wait, I went the wrong direction. Uh, the other safety for the Titans is Jesus. I forgot. Can't look it up. And I hope. Uh, yeah. Well, I and the up. other thing about this game too is the Chiefs have only had ten interceptions this year, which tied NFL or. 10 turnovers, which is an NFL record. The Titans are a team that's thrown a lot. Mario has thrown like 14 receptions this season. You know, he's been bad whenever it comes to turning over the ball, too. And I think that's really going to be the key to this game is, one, can the Titans make sure they take control of the ball, and can they run the ball and limit you know, the number of possessions Kansas City has and limit the number of adjustments Andy Reid can make to, to you know, attack the Titans' defense? Because if those three things happen, you know, the Titans have a shot at winning this game. I don't think they're going to, but I think they for sure have a shot to. And I think turnover battle is just another one kind of the keys of it as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's uh, that's five and a half minutes. We'll go ahead and, and stop the clock on that one. So the spread is Kansas City plus seven and a half. Who do you have in this one? I'm going to take this uh, KC in the spread. Uh, I'm going to take the Tennessee Titans. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a close one actually for this game. And again, it just comes down to the Titans can run the ball and they're going to, and the Chiefs have trouble. So I think it's going to be closer than expected. I figured you would. Yeah, and Todd, I I can't even tie it up anymore. I hate this team so much now. It really sucks. It really <laughs> does suck. Uh, the game after that on Saturday at 7.15 p.m. is the Atlanta Falcons against the Los Angeles Rams in L.A., and the Rams are a five-point favorite in this one. And the big news entering this game is that Andrew Vitri is out. He tore, his, he tore his triceps, and he's been trying to play with it, and he's actually shut down for the rest of the year. But Aaron Donald is still there. So how many sacks do you think Aaron Donald's going to have in this game? Aaron Donald's going to feast. I think Connor Barwin is back and, and relatively healthy too. Um, so I really see the Rams are going to be all up in Matt Ryan's face. Yeah. And my favorite thing about watching Donald play too is remember he like overruns the quarterback, you know, by like his spin move or not his spin move, his swim move or whatever, and just the ability to plant and come back. And, you know, Matt Ryan doesn't have the speed to escape outside of the pocket when Aaron Donald's there. Really all he can do is kind of crumple on a ball and fall down. Uh, the, and Wade Phillips is also great at generating, you know, pass rushing situations for his best defensive lineman. He did with Watt for, you know, those three or four years. And he's been doing with Donald as well, too. And so even though you have a great center, Alex Mack, that Atlanta has, Wade's going to do a great job at limiting the influence that Maxwell will have on Donald in the pass rush. Yeah, uh, he, he can only do so much. Um, I mean, he's a center. He's going to make the calls. They they are, you know, pretty good. It's still a pretty good offensive line, but uh, Levitre was a pretty key cog of that. I just – I'm having a hard time visualizing Matt Ryan not getting really hurt – or not getting hit often, I should say, on uh, Saturday. Yeah, and he's also been – Fairly above average this year. You know, he's kind of had like a weird Kirk Cousins season too. The thing about the Rams defense is they do have trouble stopping the run. Part of that's, you know, playing a 3-4 defense. And, you know, part of it is, is the amount that Wade Phillips likes to blitz too. And you know, even going back to Denver, and going back to this time in Denver, they had a great, you know, pass defense, but their run defense was, was whatever. And you're seeing the same thing here with the Rams too. And Atlanta needs to run the ball. They need to feed <coughs> both Tevin Coleman and Foreman as much as they can. And that, you know, they have to, I think they have to really limit how much Matt Ryan, you know, throws the ball in this one. Because I think both those backs, you know, combined can run for, you know, 150 yards against the Rams, too. And if they do that, it's, it should be a close football game, too. Yeah, this is going to be, this might be, in fact, looking at the matchups again, this is my favorite matchup of the weekend. This is what's going to be Bum Phillips, I mean, son of Bum Phillips you know, trying to pull some rabbits out of his hat, and it wouldn't be the first time he's done it. I mean, look at the Broncos run a couple of years ago. He's going to pull – he's going to do some things that the Falcons aren't expecting. He's going to confuse Matt Ryan. He's going to do things to the running game to, to help stop it. And, again, you know, in a bum Phillips 3-4, especially the gut is where you give up a lot more yards. And I think he might do something to compensate for that. So, I'm. this is going to be a really fun game for me to watch just from a you know chess match standpoint. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing, I guess going back to the Rams and offense, is that Todd Gurley is my MVP pick. 
I think there has been a quarterback that's been, you know, so far and away better than everybody else. He led the NFL. He almost led the NFL in rushing yards. He led them in touchdowns. He had a ton of receiving yards too. And the Rams create a lot of easy and open throws for Jared Goff. They're also a really great screen team too. You all, every single time they throw a screen, they have three or four, you know, blockers out in front. Uh, Gurley has plenty of space to run. And you know, even they run them to like Isaiah Battle. You know, it usually works out pretty well. Uh, anybody other than Tavon Austin, it's a good screen pass. And they're going into Rams defense that's really fast. Do you think Jared Goff is still going to have all these easy throws and the screen game is going to be as effective too? Yeah, as much as I like, you know, that uh, Deion Jones is, you know, one of the linebackers. He's an undersized linebacker. I think he's kind of the new breed of linebacker following uh, Deion Buchanan. That he's undersized, but he's fast. He's going to be helpful on the screens. But I think they're so good at the screen game. And you, when you look at the Rams' offensive line, they are nimble. I think they're quick enough to handle a guy like Deion Jones. You know, especially you know, you got Andrew Whitworth is is a big one on that. So when I look at it from an athleticism standpoint, the Falcons are going to be a more difficult team to do that against. But uh, I still think that that McVay and Matt LaFleur, the offensive coordinator for the Rams, they're going to put really put golf in a position to where he doesn't have to. They don't. They're not going to make him win the game. They're going to give him the easy throws. They're going to. They're going to let him kind of manage the game with the screen passes and let Todd Gurley do his thing. They're going to try, take as much pressure as they can off of him. Yeah, and they've done a great job doing that all year too. I mean, McVay is hands down the head coach of the year. Uh, it's amazing what he's done you know, to give Goff an easy situation with a similar, you know, scope of players than what Jeff Fisher had last year. I mean, the biggest difference was they. Out of Andrew Whitworth, but other than that, you know the t- the offense is pretty much the same. And it's just what better coaching does for this team too. And you also kind of saw a drop off in Washington with him out there as well. The one, I mean, I guess what the most interesting thing to me in this game is if it's close, and then you kind of have like a Goff versus you know Matt Ryan deal going on where whoever uh, whoever one of those two quarterbacks plays the best could possibly win it. Because I I think this game's this game's weird. This is the hardest one for me to pick. And the last matchup, of course, we have to mention, mention is Tremaine Johnson's very big, very tall, very strong. And he's going to be going up against Julio Jones in this one. Is Jones going to have kind of like a quiet season where he or a quiet game? Like he's had a few times this year where he only has like 50 yards. Or is Jones going to have like a, a crazy 150-yard one? What I think is going to happen is I really kind of foresee, and obviously I could totally be wrong. I love to say that. Um, is I really see the Rams jumping out to a quick lead and that Julio, Julio Jones is going to have to play a bigger role than the Falcons would like. They would like to stick with the run game. I just really see that the Rams are going to drop some serious points on the Falcons. Mm-hmm. So who do you have in this one? I'm going to take the Rams. Even with the spread, I'm going to take the Rams to beat the Falcons. I'm taking the Rams too. And I think the way the Falcons have to win is kind of like how the Titans would have to win. Where they have to run the ball, limit possessions. <laughs> Uh, throw the ball as little as possible, too. The 12 o'clock game on Sunday is the Buffalo Bills against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, this is such a silly game. So let's say that we were able to go back and be our past selves in August, and we said, hey, we're going to watch a Bills-Jaguars playoff game uh, this year. How how crazy of a world are we living in right now? I don't think even at the beginning of the year it would have been crazy. I think if you would have told me that that the Bills yanked Tyrod Ty God Taylor for Nathan Peterman for like no reason at all, that would have shocked me. 
And let's be honest, the Bills don't deserve to be here, like, at all. Like, totally do not deserve to be in this game. So I would not have been shocked at the two teams necessarily. I'm shocked at how they got here. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be shocked at I, – I guess I wouldn't be shocked about the Bills, but I thought they were going to go, like, you know, 7-9 this year, and that's sort the of thing. And it is they, I, The Chargers should be here. The Ravens should be here. We kind of got like, the two worst wall cartoons possible in the AFC uh, in the last week in the year. And I, it's weird, too, because, like, both these teams are pretty similar where you know, they both play defense and they both run the ball. The one difference being the passing game where, you know, Blake Boros throws a lot of shallow crossing routes. Uh, Ty God Taylor throws, you know, deep, but he doesn't, you know, he only has Calvin Benjamin really at all to throw deep to right now. And uh, LaShawn McCoy should play. Leonard Fournette should play. So it's going to be like a weird, you know, similar style, except why there's new one, uh, you know, certain part of it being different. Yeah. Uh, if you're the Bills, I think the problem is if you're the Bills, I don't know if this is the team you wanted to see. Jacksonville is slumping. The offense is slumping. Um, but I think this defense is so good for the Jaguars. I think they can overcome a lot of that kind of background BS. Um, so I, I – the the Bills have issues, and I don't trust the coaching. I, I cannot believe I'm saying I'm trusting the, the coaching of the Jags over the Bills. That's just weird to say. <laughs> and also Bortles as well, too. Uh, I see this game being a, a greyhound race where – Whoever gets out of the gate first wins. I think the biggest thing is you're know, just getting a lead. And either team you know, has a defense good enough to stop the other. The one problem with the Jaguars is their run defense isn't very good. But they get out to a lead, and you know, Ty got forced to throw a lot. He's throwing at the best pass defense in football. And he really doesn't have the weapons that your know, receiver to kind of make up. So I like, get open against Boye and Ramsey and that sort of thing. But if they get up you know, 10-0 and they're able to feed McCoy constantly and also use a lot of run – uh, you know, run the options, those sorts of things, and power with, you know, Taylor, be able to, you know, milk the clock out. That's an entirely different game. And the same thing with Jacksonville as well, too. They get lead, they can feed Fournette, make the game close, you know, force the Bills to throw the ball a lot. And so I just, I just think whoever gets the lead first is going to be the one to win this game. Yeah, it's funny, though. I would have more faith in uh, the Bills in this game if I thought that LaShawn McCoy was going to be healthy. His injury didn't look good. I mean, I thought he was done. So uh, good for him for being able to come back, but I, I don't think he's going to be remotely close to 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I know he, have, he sprained his ankle, and he's going to play this week. And the Bills also have a really good offensive line, too. And so watching the offensive line against the Jags front seven is going to be really interesting. Um, it's a weird game. It's a silly game. Also, it's a 10-mill game, too, because both these teams haven't made the playoffs in – you know, so long. So I'm not going to ask you who you think is going to cover the spread of you know, Jaguars plus seven and a half yet. I'm going to ask you, who do you want to win out of you know, the loving glow of your heart? I got to say, you know, I, for people who have listened to me for years, you know, I love my three, four defensive ends. And I know the Jaguars don't really run a three, four. There's still two guys who are just kind of classic three, four defensive ends, Kelly Campbell and Malik Jackson. I love those guys. Um, I, I'm, I'm overtly rooting for the Jaguars to win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, and do you think they could actually you know, upset either you know, Pittsburgh or New England? I don't – I think they have the potential to. 
I'm not saying they will. I think they at least can because that defense is, is going to be tight. Because, you know, it's, they need to make some adjustments. They have Marcel Darius there now, and I think they need to make some adjustments with him in the run game. They, that team should be much better against the run than they are. I don't care that Telvin Smith is on the, on the smaller side. I, they should be doing better against the run. So I, I think the potential is there to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and also you know, the, the Bills can run inside and outside. They can run all over the place too. And you're against a Jaguars team that can really you know, chase and tackle with the linebackers as fast as they have. And so it's also kind of interesting as well, like where the Bills decide to attack the Jaguars defense, because McCoy's so good outside in space, but you know, that's kind of where the Jaguars are better at stopping the run, or they want to kind of put it you know, in the muck and you know, constantly run the ball up the middle too. Yeah. That's all we got for, uh, for this one. Who do you have in this game? The, and again, the spread is Jaguars plus seven and a half. I'm taking the Jags. I, I see them shutting the Bills down. I, I, I see the potential for this one to be like a pretty big blowout, like a 30-3 to 3 kind of game. Wow. I have the Bills with the spread, the Jaguars winning. And again, I just think both these teams are going to have trouble scoring. I think it's going to be close. And it just really – not necessarily close, but I think it's going to be like a, you know, a five-point game, something like that. And again, it's going to be about who gets the lead first. So the, the last game of the weekend is at 3.40 p.m. It's the Carolina Panthers against the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints are a five-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. And this is my favorite game of the weekend. I love whenever we get the playoff games where we have two individual teams who have played each other three times, and they already know each other. And so you really just kind of figure out you know, who the best team is. And the season standing against these teams was you know one and one. The Panthers won at home and the Saints won at home. Yeah, and I, I I cannot fault you at all for this being your favorite game because being that interdivision rival. And not only that, not only that, when you look at what New Orleans has done, what has really propelled New Orleans, and who would have thought this beginning of the year, Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara against the fantastic linebacking duo of uh, Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis. We add in Kwan Short into that equation. Man, this is going to be a really fun game to watch. Yeah, and the Panthers also have the the best defensive line depth in football. They have nine guys who can rush the passer. You, know, you mentioned Short, but they also you – know, Peppers has had a great year. Uh, Mario Addison has had a great year. I know Charles Johnson is suspended for, PFD, for PEDs, but he had a good year before that too. Vernon Butler has been whatever. I'm trying to think of that giant defensive tackle they have with the big belly. Uh, I'm kind of playing with the other guys, but – they have, you know, seven different defensive linemen who can get to the passer, too. And in that game that New Orleans won against Carolina at home earlier in the year, they won that game because Ingram and Kamara were just hellacious against the Panthers. And that's one of the things the Panthers have been great at is Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley and covering running backs and stopping the short passing game. And they, they weren't able to New Orleans in that first matchup, and they're going to have to do it in this game that they're going to win. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I... I think that New Orleans to win this game is going to have to do something different. I think they're going to have to surprise. I think that means going to the air because, you know, their, their cornerbacks, Bradbury and Worley and Munderland's their, um, their slot. They're okay. They're fine, but they're not great. But when you're talking about the front seven against the 
Panthers. That's going to be tough. I think that New Orleans is going to have to go away from what's been working with them, working for them in 2017. They're have to, going to have to go to the air. They're going to have to use the speed of, dare I say, could you imagine Ted Ginn beating the Carolina Panthers? But they're really, I think they're going to have to go to the speed that they have at wide receiver in order to win this game. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. They also have Michael Thomas, too, in the outside. I really like Bradbury. But Bradbury, you know, one versus one against Thomas doesn't really work out that well. You know, also the Panthers play a lot of zone, too, because they have the linebackers who can drop off and, you know, chase yeah. and, and uh, tackle guys before they can get the first down marker as well. And on the, you know, the Panthers have the ball in offense. You know, Cam's had a, a good year, but he's been really inconsistent. He started off the year, like, really slow and kind of weird, and then he got happy and was smiling. And he kind of ended the last, you know, bit of the year in a whimper as well. So how do you think Carolina's going to attack this surprising New Orleans Saints defense? I think that's a great question. I wish I had a good answer for it. Um, I mean, as a UT fan, of course, I'm going to say Fozzie Whitaker, which makes (laughs) no sense whatsoever, but I don't really care. Uh, You're going to have to – I think you even mentioned it. Did you even mention it? Yeah, how much will he be using? So Cam Newton in the run game, I, I don't think you can allow that to happen. I think you have to make him make throws downfield because if you start using Cam Newton as a running back in this game and he starts taking even more, you know, hits, and he's he's had some problems with injuries this year, uh, you cannot do that. You cannot expose him. You have to keep him healthy, and I think you can do that by letting him push the ball down the field, throwing it. Um, the safeties, I, you know, Von Bell and Kenny Vaccaro uh, is out, right? I haven't really, I haven't, I've uh, watched the and I haven't really seen him on the field all this year. Okay, so Vaccaro is out. Sorry, I did look that up. My bad. No. And Raphael Bush, yeah. You have to be, you have to take advantage of the poor safety play. The cornerbacks aren't great, aside from uh, Marshawn Lattimore. I think you can pick on the other guys. I think this game, if, if Carolina forces, the game plan forces Cam Newton to get the ball down the field, which he can do, certainly has the arm strength, and he's successful, I think that's their best chance to win. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's to me that, and specifically throwing the ball to the middle, to the middle of the field, because like you said, you know, Lattimore is you know, spectacular. They'll probably be matched against Funches throughout the game. Yeah, I think it's me up to, you know, making this throws to, you know, Greg Olson at the middle of the field. And also, I know you mentioned you're not using Cam in the run game that much, but I think you're going to have to because the Saints do have a good front seven. Um, it's been, I guess, good may not, not be the best word, but, you know, they've been really solid. They've been probably about the 12th best, you know, run defense in football this year. And so I think you have to use Cam. You have to run the option. You have to run power. I think you have to do things similar to, you know, what worked against, the Minnesota Vikings to be able to move the ball as well too in this one. And I, I think the key is going to be running the ball create, creatively and also throwing the ball to the field to you know, Greg Olson specifically uh, from, for Carolina's offensive perspective. Yeah. I, I, this is going to be a really, really fun game to watch because you have a lot of strengths versus weaknesses, uh, strengths versus strengths. I'm sorry. Weaknesses versus weaknesses. Yeah. Marshmallow, and all marshmallow action, like a like you two said the other day. The <laughs> other thing I want to mention real quick is that Cameron Jordan is spectacular. At any time he's going to go up against Matt Khalil, is going to be a, a very bad thing for the Carolina Panthers. 
I also I love how nasty Cam Jordan is with like his grill and like his you know his beard's really nasty. And every single time he gets a sack, he's always licking his lips and stuff. And uh, and it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Cameron, I will say Cameron Jordan again. My thing with three four tight defensive ends. Cameron Jordan is, yeah, I, I like him a lot. Yeah. So who do you have in this game? And again, the spread is Saints plus five and a half. I am going to take. Uh, wow, I don't even know where I want to go with this one. I've been I've been going back and forth. Ever since I saw, you know, the script, Matt always says the script. It's always awesome. Ever since I saw the script and I saw he, what he was doing to me, I, I've been going back and forth on it. And I guess I have to finally put my foot down. And no matter how long I talk, I can only put it off for so long. <laughs> I'm going to take <laughs> – I'm going to go with Carolina. All right. I got I got the Saints. And I also I have the Saints win the NFC this year as well, too. I said that in week eight. And I'm gonna stick with uh, stick with my guns, you know. I don't know. There's no reason not to. That's just the team's been playing well. Yeah. And so to recap: Tennessee, Kansas City. Are the tight ends? You have the Chiefs. Rams, Atlanta. We both have the Rams. Uh, Bills, Jags. I have Buffalo. You have the Jaguars. And then Saints, Panthers. I have New Orleans. And you have Carolina. And I'm sure that's very infuriating for the listener for me to not match either of those uh, team and national combinations the entire time. So that's uh, that's our preview for the wild card round. We'll be on you know next week, the week after, and you know kind of talk about the playoff games and whatever little bit of Texas news that comes in. Uh, so now we have a couple uh, reader questions or listener questions, however you want to describe it. The first one we have is from our, our very own Luke Beggs, BFD. He said, "Which one of the recently released Texans coaches?" Are you most looking forward to seeing Thrive as a defensive coordinator or head coach in a year or two? None of them. <laughs> I, I don't think any of them. I, I, I mean, Larry Izzo might be a better coach than he is, but, well, running backs coach, DB coach, I don't know. I, I don't see any reason for those guys to pop up in three or four years. Yeah. Well, I think this is your chance to make fun of Mike Rabel uh, head coaching news. That's all oh gosh, that's uh, I I just don't even have the words. As bad as the defensive scheme, the defense was bad before the injuries. Let's just be very clear here. Yeah. It was bad, and it was a scheme. The things that made it successful in 2016, especially the A-gap blitzes, we just completely went away from playing JJ Watt outside, playing Clowney outside, and in coverage. Oh my gosh, really? You're really going to put Clowney in coverage like seven times a game? Stupid. All stupid. So it's oh, Vrabel's defensive scheme was terrible. Romeo Cornell, you know, my visualizations of you breastfeeding Vrabel haven't really come to fruition. <laughs> I want to be able to see that next year because baby Cornell, I miss you. I miss you, man, a lot. I miss your your intelligence and your schemes and your creativity. I guess I guess that doesn't go along in breast milk. Yeah, uh, I I don't really understand it because you know I think the best example I have is they're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're going against a team that runs a lot of crossing routes. You're playing man coverage against with defensive backs that can't keep up with you know the Jaguars receivers like D.D. Westbrook, uh, Mix, and 
I'm forgetting the other guy because I'm very stupid. And you get torched. You know, you get torched by Blake Bortles. You can't keep up with any of them. And they still play man coverage over and over again. You're getting the 10 deep pass to start the year because your your quarterbacks are having trouble passing guys off in zone and and cover four specifically. And what do you do? You keep sticking with cover four. You lose to the Patriots because of that scheme. Uh, You know, that's all needs to really be said. He's been bad all year. The defense underperformed, you know, whenever they had Juan Merciless healthy. Uh, and they became really bad when they lost him. He just didn't make any changes at all and didn't scheme to opponents very well at all. So I'm, I'm anti-Brable, and the fact that he gets head coach uh, consideration at all is just hilarious. Well, again, I, we've been talking about it on the listserv all day today. It's like it, it's funny how it's almost impossible at a certain level to, to lose your street, street cred as a potential coach. Like, Rabel's year was terrible, but yet he's in all these head coaching conversations. It, I, I realize that it's very much a good old boys network. It's not as bad as it used to be, but it still is a, a good old boys network. And it, it's baffling about how a guy like Rabel, like, I get it, I get it. He's not going to be running a defense, but he's going to have an influence on the defense. What has he done as a coordinator to make you think he's going to be a good head coach? Like, shouldn't there be some sort of, hey, he took the 25th worst, or he took the 25th ranked defense and he made them the eighth? Shouldn't that be like a thing? Hey, he knows what he's doing. And Vrabel took a very good defense and turned it into trash, even before the injuries happened. So I don't know how he's in that conversation. So whatever. I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, he looks like a head coach. He probably smells like a head coach. Uh, I, don't, I don't. He may taste like a head coach, but you know, based off the results yeah. this year, he shouldn't be a head coach. I think he's one of those guys who's a good position coach, but understand the entire you know aspect of calling a defensive running game plan. Uh, he did not do it all this year whatsoever. The next question we have here is from Texian Army three four nine five. He said, uh, "No one to hear this, but hypothetical question. Since you all mentioned Gurley for MVP." Would Watson legitimately have won this award if he had stayed healthy? Definitive, yes or no. He was on pace for over 3,800 yards and Ricky shattering 46 touchdowns, which would wipe out Golden Boy, Pam Manning, and Wilson's re- record by a resounding margin, which uh, I do love any uh, bit of mud you can flap in Pam Manning's face. So for, for this question, I think the you know, Watson touchdown stuff, it's like the guy in baseball who has you know, 15 home runs in the first month of the season go, Oh, he's on pace to hit you know, 95 home runs. He never hits 95 home runs. He usually hits like you know 35, and he has a, a nice start and kind of tapers off from there. I think the same thing probably happened with Watson. I, you know, he probably would have thrown like you know he had 19 touchdowns in the six games he's, he played in, or seven games he played in, six games he started. But I think he probably would have ended up with somewhere around like you know 30, which would have been you know way up there, but not enough to win the MVP. And the other thing as well too. The Texans were a three and four team with Watson healthy. They're, with the way this defense had played, uh, there's no with you know Will Fuller injury as well too. There's no way to really know at all how good Houston would have been. They would have been competitive, but it's a resounding no that they would have for sure been a playoff team too. And I think to be the MVP of the of the NFL, your team has to at least make the playoffs. So I don't think Watson would have been the MVP. I think he would have been the offensive rookie of the year. And I don't think his touchdown numbers would have been, you know, th- 46 touchdowns. He would have thrown for, you know, 4,000 yards like he was on pace to as well. Yeah, and I think that's 
I generally agree with that because he also had uh, nobody had adjusted to him really. The Seahawks were starting to nobody had adjusted to yeah. him yet, and so there would have been that. There would have been also some level of regression to the mean. That said, let's say he throws 38 touchdowns and has an additional 12 rushing touchdowns. So, you know, he would have, I think he would have created a lot of scoring, which would have helped his MVP argument. So I'm not going to be quite as dismissive as Matt was about it. I do think it would have been an interesting – it's an interesting hypothetical on that level, and I wish we would have – really wish we would have seen that play out more. Yeah. But um, I, I do think he would have he would have at least been in the conversation on some level because, of, like like Big Matt said earlier, aside from Gurley, there's not a, there was no quarterback who really put up big numbers this year, not really to, to be in that conversation, I think. And I agree with him that Gurley should be the MVP. Uh, but I think he would have at least inserted his name into that conversation at a, at a higher level than some of the other quarterbacks have. Um, you can't, you know, he had a couple of, I, I just want to go back to you, especially the game against the BESF when he went, really went off. Uh, he got, yes, he would have gotten to play them one more time, but it, those are kind of outlier games. And I think that one game alone really kind of throws his stats off so that it's hard to extrapolate them throughout the season but I do think he would have been part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I think he would have been part of the conversation. I think he would have won Offensive Rookie of the Year, but I don't think he would have ended up the MVP Easily. at all. Mm-hmm. Easily. The... <laughs> oh, Roy. Wow. I yeah, mean, he might... Been... Uh, he definitely not, lived our not... worst lives yep. this year. Yeah, because who's going to be... Who's going to win that? It's going to be Kamara, right? Well, yeah, it's, yeah, it should be Kamara. It should be Kamara for sure. It's either me so, him or Hunt, I, I think if you and they may give it to Hunt too. Yeah, Hunt tailed off after the third week, though. But he led the NFL in rushing yards, and you know they love that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the next question we have here is from UT. We said Marvin Lewis just got a new two-year contract with the Bengals. So BFD, this leads him to ask. If there were a nuclear holocaust and the only remaining life on Earth was Marvin Lewis, Keith Richards, cockroaches, and sentient Twinkies, how many years did Lewis outlast the remaining survivors? <laughs> what a fantastic question. I mean, really, I, there, there's no answer to this question because it, it's just so perfectly worded. It's I, I've got nothing. Well done, UT. That's great. Yeah, I'm very glad for that. I would love uh, for uh, – video game called Fallout. They made Fallout 5 Cincinnati and it's a, you get to play as Marvin Lewis just surviving in a apocalyptic wasteland trying to coach the Cincinnati Bengals to a playoff victory. <laughs> Boom. Got him. Uh, next question was, how much does Matt still want to be cuddled by Romeo Cornell? This is still there. Uh, my, my grandfather is not a He's not a bigger man than I am. You know, he's probably like 6'2", you know, 205 or so. I'm like 6'6", two, I'm 6'6", 220 right now. And so I need like a – and I'm too big for my grandmother to, you know, to still cuddle me and hold me now. And so I need a bigger person to be able to do this. I think Romeo Cornell, one, is strong enough, and two, he has the perfect body type to just hold me in, hold me in his arms, you know, pat me on the back and tell me, you know, it's all going to be all right. And so nothing has changed, even though he's in the press box or the you know, coach in Texas defense from the, from the field. But yes, I still want uh, you know, Romeo Cornell to still give me a big hug and just you know hold me for a little while. 
every, and tell you everything's going to be all right, Big Matt. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Especially with these last two months of winter where, you know, I, this is just the worst part of my the entire year. Uh, and the last question here is from UT as well. He said, could BFD speak up? I can't hear him over the sound of his pocket protector and slide rule. Uh, Got you. I do my best. I sometimes forget things. I do my best. Shiza. <laughs> well, I think he said that because he, he robbed DVOA during the you know, playoff uh, preview, right. which is fine because it's right. on the top of your head. You weren't looking thing up at all. Uh, so, anyways, right. thank you for being on tonight, BFD. It was a great show. It was a joy show. It was so much fun, and I'm just so happy that Texas 2017 season is over. Thank you for listening live, everybody, and for the questions as well. If you're listening recorded, thank you for listening, too. Uh, we'll be back on next week live, 7 p.m. Central. We like the questions. We like you listening live, but your recording is uh, just as great as well. And we'll be on every week for the rest of the, se- rest of the playoffs, previewing the playoffs and all that, and you know, talk about the playoff games that happen. In addition to that, we'll do a – Texans, you know, season review award show uh, once the season is included as well. So you still have, you know, five more podcasts or so to listen to uh, for the rest of the 2017 season. So even though the Texans are done, football isn't done, and uh, next five weeks should be a lot of fun. Woo! So, anyways, thank you for listening to Valorant Radio. <laughs> My name is Matt Weston, and uh, thank you for being on tonight, BFG. <laughs> wow, that was, that was premature woohoo-lation. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.